Amen. Thank you, Jen. Just as she was praying and mentioning all the different people around the world that are serving as international workers uh, with the Alliance and beyond, I'm reminded of the diverse community that we call uh, Neighborhood Church. And so to all my African brothers and sisters listening, good morning, all my Asians, Europeans, Latin America, uh, and people just from the U.S., thank you for connecting this morning uh, with us as part of this live stream. Also, I just encourage you, a simple way, way to share and show Jesus is click share on whatever platform you're on. And that way, your friends or other people uh, might tune in, and who knows what Christ can do through even simple things like this. So let's say a prayer as we begin. Father God, I pray that you would meet with us this morning. And God, that your words would uh, be spoken and your truth would take root in our hearts and that it would go out and do what you desire to do. In Jesus' name, amen. As already has been mentioned, today is Palm Sunday, which means that we are one week from Easter and this is the beginning of Holy Week. This would normally mean for most of the public schools that it'd be spring break time, but as all of us have been discovering who have children in public schools, it is homeschooling time. For those who have, have been homeschooling, I know you're probably getting a lot more credit right now for what you do. And also it reminds me of a Tim Hawkins song that he had a line that said, I saw my mom talking to herself and she was having a parent-teacher conference. So maybe you saw that this last week as your mom talked to herself. But to say the least, this week is different. This Easter is going to be different. But let me remind you, God is still the same. He's at work, and none of this is surprising to him. Now, as we enter Holy Week or Passion Week, leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're going to explore the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. You'll find this passage in Luke 19. And in Luke 19, uh, if you have a Bible, uh, now would be a great time to pull it out or find it or pull out your smartphone or some other device you have to be able to look it up because we're going to just go through this passage in Luke 19. I know for some of you, you're very familiar with this passage and this is nothing new that I'm going to say this morning. And for others, this is brand new. But I hope that in the midst of this, that you just simply ask yourself this question. Who is the king that I'm looking for? Who is the king I am looking for? Now, let me explain what I mean here. All of us want what is best for us. Although we'd love to believe that we are altruistic and only want what is good for others and not ourselves first, when we're really honest with it, normally we want what is best for us first. If you live with others currently in this social distancing environment, if you went to the bathroom this morning and discovered that there was no toilet paper on the roll, your first thought probably wasn't, praise God that somebody else had toilet paper this morning and not me. No, you probably thought to yourself, who took the last of the toilet paper and how rude that they didn't leave any for, for me. Because normally we want what is best for us. Now toilet paper is one thing. But think about larger life. Relationships, marriage, kids, school, employment, health, bank and retirement accounts. If we're honest, we want what is best for us. 
It's normal to put yourself in the center of your life and have the universe rotate around your gravitational pull. When I'm working at home and one of my kids comes and interrupts my important work, my first thought normally isn't, wow, praise God for children. Usually it's, how can I get work done and not be distracted by my children, if I'm honest? Because normally I want what's best for me. And this is the struggle with every single person on this planet. And this is what Jesus struggled with in the nation of Israel and everybody wanting what was best for them in the midst of Jesus's life, ministry, and how it was playing out. Now let me give you a little background with regards to what's happening here in the nation of Israel before we get into the actual verses for today. Jesus began his ministry around 2,000 years ago in AD 30. He invited 12 men, 12 disciples, 12 students to be his intimate, connected, close entourage. These were the people who walked with him and lived with him over this three-year period of time. They witnessed miracles, healings, raising of the dead, challenging of the religious and political systems. They had hitched their wagon to Jesus and were ready for a rocket ride to the top with their Messiah. And now for the everyday citizens in Israel, Jesus was a new figure. Jesus actually cared about them, ministered to them, wanted the best for them, and so the everyday citizen was looking and saying, this is one who finally has come to rescue me and deliver me. Now at that time in Israel, Israel was an occupied nation. The Romans had taken over and there was this tension between the Romans and the Jewish people. Between the religious leaders and the everyday average citizens. The Romans had what was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And the peace of Rome was not about having copacetic relationships with everyone. It was about enforcing peace at whatever cost. And they did this through taxation, intimidation, and ultimately through a brutal torture, torture device called crucifixion. Jewish leaders knew that as long as they kept the Pax Romana, the peace in Israel, these leaders could keep their positions of power and authority. But if disruption began to happen in the nation, they would lose their positions and power because the Romans would enforce the peace of Rome. Now here steps Jesus into the stage. And Jesus is not helping the religious leaders. He's not helping Rome. And there can be some questions of whether or not the everyday citizen really knew where he was headed to. The Jewish leaders were helping, hoping that Jesus would just leave things alone. But now here he enters in. And for somebody who is rising on the political scene and entering into this whole area of positions of power, what would be a natural point in a calendar year to enter into your messiahship or kingship or power? It would be the Feast of Passover. Now, the Feast of Passover is one of the largest feasts in the Jewish calendar. It was a time where the Jewish people celebrated God's rescue from the bondage of Egypt. Estimates have the city of Jerusalem, the capital city, swelling to four times its size. It would go from 
a small amount to maybe as many as 40 to 250,000 people gathering during this week. Think New Year's, Christmas, Thanksgiving, all wrapped together. This is the big festival of the year, and this would be a time to introduce yourself as a new king, a new Messiah. Now to stop this, the Jewish religious people put out an APB on Jesus and said, if anybody sees Jesus anywhere near this festival, please tell us and we're going to have him arrested to make sure that he doesn't become a disruptor. So what does Jesus do? Well, in John 12, 1, Jesus shows up outside the city of Jerusalem. He enters a small town called Bethany. He takes time in the homes of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and Simon the leper. And in a sense, he's setting his stage to enter into Jerusalem, the final approach before landing. So let's read in Luke 19, beginning in verses 29 to 35. As he came to the town of Bethpeg and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asked why you are untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Here, Jesus is fulfilling one of many Jewish prophecies about the coming king. There was much cultural significance to Jesus entering in on the back of a donkey, a colt. If you read the Old Testament, King Solomon entered the city at his coronation day on the back of a colt. The book of Zechariah proclaims that this coming king will come on the back of a colt. So the people around him, and even the person who was being asked for this colt to be used, were hearing, the king has come, the king has come, the king has come. So what happens? Let's read on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out the garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Can you feel it? Can you picture the excitement that's happening? It's thick in the air. Jesus on the back of a colt. They're even proclaiming, Hosanna, the king has come. And if you're familiar with the topography of the city of Jerusalem, here's a simple picture for you. The Mount of Olives is right outside the city. And this procession began on top of the Mount of Olives and went down through the Kidron Valley and up into the city of Jerusalem. As you see in the picture, there is what's called the Dome of the Rock with a, a gold dome on it. That is considered the second most holy place in the Islamic faith. But at the time of Jesus, traditionally, that would have been right where the temple would have been. 
So this procession would have been working their way down through that valley and up into the gates into the city of Jerusalem, while all of them shouting, Hosanna, God save us. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And these shouts would echo through the valley, across and down through the streets in the city. And all the city would probably know that something incredible was happening. The crowds knew. The religious leaders knew. The Romans probably heard that stir as the king was entering into his kingdom. The coronation day had come for Jesus. Well, in all this excitement, there's one group that wasn't real excited about what was happening. And this is the Jewish leaders. And we read in verses 39, but some Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst into cheers. The Pharisees wanted nothing to do with this parade, nothing to do with this party because Jesus is a disruptor to them. He is threatening the established system. The Pharisees want power, control, and Jesus is disrupting that. So, so they tell Jesus, just calm everyone down. Jesus responds, if the people stop praising. Even the rocks will cry out. The rocks will burst forth into cheers. Why? Because no one can silence what God is doing. No one can stop what is unfolding before their very eyes. And let me remind you that often we think we know how God is at work. But often we really don't know. It's like looking into a broken mirror or through shards of glass and thinking we understand the beginning, the middle, and the end, but we always don't. Think about what's happening now in the world. I hear predictions of how this is all going to play out, but I can truly say God only knows. And in the midst of this, God is working in unexpected ways and nothing can silence his plans. Do you know that in the last few weeks, I don't even need statistics for this, there is more people preaching the gospel online than in all of human history. God's word is going farther and faster than probably any of us could have imagined even a month and a half ago. And Jesus is responding in the midst of this and saying, God is going to do what he wills. And you cannot silence the works of God. Let's read in verse 40. But he came closer, as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Think about this. In the midst of the parade, in the midst of the party, in midst of the shouts of Hosanna, the king has come, God save us. Jesus stops and he weeps. 
It doesn't say he falls to his knees, but that's what I almost picture in my mind, that Jesus falls to his knees weeping. This is not a tear going down the corner of his cheek. This is an ugly cry of anguish. As he looks at the city in front of him. And why is he crying? What is it that he is seeing that they are not? Well, we read in verse 42 and and he says, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from you. We make the same mistake. We can begin to think that peace is about what's happening outside of us versus inside of us. We can think that if this circumstance changed, if these politicians weren't in office, if the culture wasn't that way, if there wasn't these movies or music, or if I had a different wife or husband or children or job, or if this pandemic wasn't going on, then I would have peace. But isn't that focused on the outside versus the inside? And isn't that what the people in this entourage and parade were focused on? The outside versus the inside? That if Jesus would only do something externally, then my internal world would be made right. We miss what Jesus is doing when we only focus on the outside. Jesus is working in much different ways. And then to add to how far people missed it, Jesus gives a prediction that the city of Jerusalem will be obliterated. The glorious city, this temple that all of them could be seeing in the distance, ground into dust. Do you know that only 40 years later, a short 40 years That's exactly what happens. When the capital is ransacked and not one stone is left on another in the temple. Jesus' words are fulfilled. And here's the main thing that Jesus is getting at. Who is the king you are looking for? Who is the king you are looking for? We look for a king who will answer and change the outside, but Jesus wants to deal with what's going on inside of you. Inside of your heart, your feelings, your fears, your motivations. Jesus wants to get in there and take it apart. People looked at Jesus entering the city gates, but Jesus was saying, why don't you open your life to me? People wanted external peace, but Jesus said, I want to eternally bring repair between a holy God and people. The true and ultimate peace. What are your expectations of this God that we currently say we follow? Who is the king you are looking for? Do you expect Jesus to be a king in your own image? Or to be a king who rules in the way that he sees fit and chooses? Maybe you've heard that if you only believe enough, God will work out all his plans and purposes exactly how you want it to work. That's just not how it works with God. Jesus 
has a greater plan and purpose, a greater message. And it's to save each and every one of us from eternal separation from God in hell and transform you into his image and bring you into the life that he has promised for you. Our expectations of Jesus and the reality of the life that Jesus has for us is vastly different at times than what he's actually said. So just take a moment to reflect on this story. Where would you put yourself in all of these crowds? Would you be with the Romans just saying, I want to keep peace? Or the religious leader saying, keep peace because peace is connected to my status. Or the 12 disciples saying, wow, this is, this is a king in our image who's going to do what we want. Or, or the crowd saying the same thing, the king has come to liberate us outside. I do imagine, and there's nothing in scripture that says this, but I do imagine that there were some in the crowd that were watching and listening what was happening. And they heard these words of Jesus and took time to reflect and ask themselves, what has this king really come to do? Who is this king that has truly come? What is this peace that he's proclaiming that people aren't recognizing? The crowds think that a physical king had come to set up a physical rule in the nation of Israel. That was their expectation. That was their great plans and purposes which were unfolding. But the people had no idea what was going to happen over the next week. But Jesus did. Jesus knew this inauguration parade and party was going to turn into a funeral procession. Jesus knew that this crown of gold that people thought was going to be on his head, maybe in hours or days, was going to be a crown of thorns dripping with blood. Jesus knew that the throne that he was going to enter into was not a political throne in the capital city, but the kingdom he was going to enter into was going to be on a hill, on a cross, as he was brutally crucified for your and my rebellion against God. That was not the king they were looking for, but that was the king each and every one of us need. Jesus was not going to just transform the nation of Israel. He was going to transform this world forever by opening up a permanent and perfect way for you and I to be brought back into a relationship with the Holy God. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you ever have said yes to King Jesus but I can tell you that when you say yes to Jesus, it will transform you on the inside, which will flow to the outside. And today I invite you, if you have never said yes to King Jesus, I invite you to say, say yes to him today. And if you've already said yes to him, to offer him again that place and position of authority and control in your life. I made that decision over 20 years ago. And it has not only been one decision, it has been again and again and again coming back and saying, I need you to be king of my life, Jesus. 
And where he has taken me personally and what he has done with me, I never would have even recognized. If you would have told me 25 years ago that I would marry a woman that I met in England from the other side of the world who had the same birthday as me, hello, Nami, I love you still the same as much as I did 20 plus years ago, I would never saw that as part of God's purpose. If you would have told me 10 years ago that I would be pastoring a church and preaching to an empty building, I would never have saw God's plans and purposes. But again and again, I need to offer myself back and say, Jesus, you are king of my life. And my hope and prayer for each one of us is that we would discover a king not in our image, but the true king, Jesus. Hosanna, God saves. May we encounter Jesus as King and Savior today. Father God, we pray that you would take this message wherever we're at, be it sitting on our couch, watching on a big screen, small screen, or no screen. God, may you take us and may we willingly offer ourselves afresh and new to you. King Jesus, you are worth it all. And may we receive you in your full kingship, not in our image, but in who you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen.